Decisions, decisions. We make them every day. Little things like, what am I going to wear? Do I choose the skim latte or the double mocha with extra whip? Should I go to bed early or binge watch a whole season of shows? Of course, some decisions carry more weight, like, do we stay together or split up? Buy a house or rent? Get a dog or have kids in a minivan? Accept the new job or look for something better? So many decisions to make, and it's really hard to know which one is right. It helps when you know there are some things you just won't do. But what happens when God shuts a door? Who helps you when you're facing a tough choice? One decision could change the course of your life. The future is waiting at the door. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Gort Church. Really good to have you with us today, whether you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online. We are in the third week of a series called At the Door because a great life is made up of great decisions. Every day you stand at the door of a decision, and the more great decisions you make, the better off you're going to be. But that's hard. And mostly it's hard because of the sheer number of decisions that we make on a daily basis. In fact, according to most experts, and by experts I mean I just Google search this, the average American makes 35,000 remotely conscious decisions every day. I love how they use the word remotely conscious. That means the next time your spouse is upset at you about a decision, they're like, why did you do that? You can just be like, I'm pretty sure I was remotely conscious when I made that decision. But think about that, 35,000 decisions every single day. And that's not even counting if you go to Cheesecake Factory for dinner. If you order off that menu, that number skyrockets the number of decisions you're going to make. It's no wonder decision making is so difficult. How do you make 35,000 good decisions every day? Well, first of all, you don't. Nobody does. But second of all, you try to live by this principle. That our lives are marked by the doors that we go through, but also those that we don't. Your life, my life, is marked not only by the doors that we go through, the decisions that we make, but also by the doors that we choose not to go through. And there are some doors in life that you should never walk through. For my oldest son's 11th birthday this past summer, we went to Valley Fair. Now, I haven't been to Valley Fair in like 15 years or so, and I'd never been to the water park there. But apparently in 2015, they added four new slides. Let me show you a picture of this so you can kind of get an idea. These two on the left here are called Breaker's Plunge, and they are body slides that are 90 feet up in the air. These two on the right are called Breaker's Pipeline, and those are body slides that are 65 feet up in the air. Now, when we got to Valley Fair, I took the two littlest kids over to a splash pad for them to play, and somehow, my 11-year-old son and my 8-year-old son talked my wife into taking them down one of these water slides. This is very out of character for my wife. In fact, when she walked up, she asked one of the lifeguards, she said, which one of these slides is the least scary? The, slide, the, judge, the lifeguard kind of rubbed his chin for a moment, and he goes, maybe the red one? That should have been her first clue. They stood in line for 20 minutes. When they finally got towards the top, they realized that this was not one of those water slides where you kind of grab the bar and just swing yourself down. Oh, no. You stand out on a platform that is actually a trap door. 
you then hear a voice that says, five, four, three, two, one. Boom, trap door opens. And you free fall for the first 10 feet, presumably smash your back against the water slide, and then you go down for the other 55. My 11-year-old son looked at my wife, and a little bit nervously, he said, I'll go if you'll go. <laughs> and Sarah said, well, I'll go if you'll go. But just to make sure it was safe, they made my eight-year-old Hudson go first. <laughs> Sacrificial lamb. I mean, he doesn't know any better. So he just, he stands out there like, oh, what's going on? You know, five, four, three, two, one, boom, Hudson disappears from sight. Micah stands out there, five, four, three, two, one, boom, down he goes. Sarah stands out there, five, four, three, two, she goes, hold up. There is no way I'm going through that door. She stepped off the platform and took the walk of shame back down the steps past everyone standing in line. I said, did you fist bump the 12-year-old girls waiting to go down this thing as you walked past them? But of course, I said that from the ground 65 feet below her. There are doors in life like that. They look fun, they look exciting from a distance. But as you get a little bit closer, you realize, wait a minute, this is a trap. For example, you're a teenager or a young adult and you think something like, you know, I just want to try it once. Just curious what it's like. I just want to do it one time. You know how many people have said that over the years? It's a trap. Pretty soon, you're sliding. Or an alcoholic says, you know, I'm just going to have one drink. I'm just going to have two drinks. I mean, I've got this under control. It's not a problem for me anymore. It's a trap door. Pretty soon, you're sliding into an addiction. Or a married person says, you know, my marriage is really not going all that well. And this other person at work I mean, they flirt, they're fun, they give me lots of attention. Sure, I'll go to coffee with you. It's a trap door. Pretty soon, your marriage is sliding. In fact, let me ask you, is there a door in your life right now that you can just sense is a trap? Oftentimes, God will give you that sense of intuition. He will give you that warning that says, if you go through this door, you're going to slide. Your relationships, your reputation, your future opportunities, they're going to slide. That's why you need to step back and go, hold up. I am not going to go through that door. And that's really what it's going to take. It's going to take an advanced decision that says there are certain doors in life that I am never going to walk through. Because your life and my life are marked not only by the doors that we walk through, but also by the doors that we don't. Look what the book of Proverbs says about this in the Bible. Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon. And Solomon was known as one of the wisest people who has ever lived. I mean, his decision-making was legendary. And so in Proverbs 5, he's writing to his son. He's telling his son about certain doors that you should never walk through in life. Look at what he says. He says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip like honey. He uses the word forbidden. He's saying, son, there are some doors in life that they're forbidden. They're off limits to a follower of Christ who wants to live a great life. Now, there's multiple forbidden doors out there. But in this particular instance, he's talking about adultery. He says, this woman is forbidden. 
And then notice how it describes her lips. It says they drip like honey. In other words, this woman is forbidden, but she's also very enticing. And isn't that how it always is? I mean, I have never seen a forbidden door that wasn't at the same time also enticing. Just saying it's forbidden is enough to entice most of us. And so Solomon goes on to his son and he says this. He says, her mouth is smoother than oil, but the result is as bitter as poison. Sharp as a double-edged sword. He says, son, she does not care about the path to life. Notice how he describes this woman's mouth. He says it's smoother than oil. We would call her a smooth talker. She says the right things. She knows how to get what she wants. And so Solomon is saying, hey, son, she's going to make you feel powerful, handsome, desirable at first. But look at the result. It's as bitter as poison. Scientists have actually confirmed this to be true. Scientists have found that when you give in to a temptation, your brain releases a little chemical known as dopamine. And so when you look lustfully at that person or at that image, there's a buzz, there's a thrill as a little bit of dopamine gets released into your brain. When there's that person in your life and you go, you know what, I'm going to say something back to you that hurts you as much as you just hurt me. And you just let them have it. For a split second, there's this feeling of satisfaction. That's dopamine. But it's a satisfaction that comes at the cost of obedience to God. And so after a while, the dopamine wears off. New chemicals get released into your brain. And they can be as bitter as poison. Solomon says, son, her lips drip with honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil, but I'm telling you, the end result is as bitter as poison. And what does poison do? Poison kills things. Kills relationships, kills reputations, kills future opportunities. I love how Solomon concludes to his son. He says, for she does not care about the path to life. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that other woman... You know, the one at work, outside of your marriage that you think about and you're attracted to and interested in. Do you think she cares about your path to life? Do you think how you're, what she, that she cares what your kids are going to feel when they find out that you cheated? Do you think she's going to care about your marriage and the example that you could set for your grandchildren one day? If you think the answer is yes to those questions, then her mouth really is smoother than oil. Let me ask you, do you think that other man, the one at work, the one who lives down the street, who playfully flirts with you and listens to you and seems to understand, do you think he cares about your standing before God? Do you think he's going to care how you feel to have to stand before God and confess to having that affair? No, he doesn't. He does not care about your path to life. But God does. God wants to lead you into that path. In fact, God's not trying to restrict you with rules, but liberate you to life. Why do you think God calls lying a forbidden door? Is it because he wants to keep you from the joys of lying to people? No. He wants you to be the kind of person that other people trust. Why does God call adultery a forbidden door? Is it because he wants to keep you from the excitement of an illicit affair? No, he wants your home to be a place of security and safety for you and your kids. He wants you to live a life free from guilt and emotional pain. 
Why does God call overspending or going into debt a forbidden door? Is it because he doesn't want you to have nice things? No. God wants you to be free from debt and payments and interest and the burden that comes along with that. God is not trying to restrict you with rules. He is trying to liberate you to life. There are some of us who came to church today or you're watching this message online and your hand is on the doorknob. There's a forbidden door and your hand is on the doorknob this week. And you maybe even been trying to talk yourself into this and justify why it would be okay for you just to turn the knob a little bit or to crack the door open just a tiny bit. And I believe that God brought you to church today or has you listening to this message online as a warning that you are about to make the worst decision you could ever make in your life. There are others of you here today who say, you know what, I walked through one of those doors. At one point in my life, I walked through a forbidden door. And I am experiencing the pain and the consequences that you're describing right now. And what you want to know is, is it possible for me to find healing and forgiveness? Is it possible for me to get on the other side of that door again? And my answer to you is yes. By the power of Jesus Christ, you can experience a healing and a forgiveness in your life. But God wants you to get as fast as you can on the other side of that door. There are others of you here today who say, you know what, I think it's going to be a great message for somebody else to hear. But I'm not really close to any forbidden doors in my life right now. And what I want to say to you is, way to go. You know, sometimes we come to church and it's like, don't do this, you shouldn't do that, you're not doing that well. I just want to let you know, way to go. You're exactly where God wants you to be in life. But I also want to remind you of something. That smarter people than you and me have walked through forbidden doors. I'll bet you've seen it in your career or with your group of friends. Somebody who has lost a job, a reputation, maybe even a marriage, because they walked through a forbidden door of adultery, drug use, drunkenness, pornography, greed, anger, or lying. Forbidden doors are a potential killer for all of us. When I see someone like that who's walked through a forbidden door, I don't step back and go, well, I'm smarter than you. I step back and go, you know, that very easily could have been me. So in our time left, let me give you three ways that you can avoid forbidden doors in your life, not even get close to them and experience the pain. The first one is this, don't get near. Look at what Solomon says as he continues to his son. He says, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Solomon says, son, you got to get this. Don't even go near the door of her house. But see, here's what a lot of us do. We try to get as close as we can to that forbidden door and then pull back. I heard this all the time when I used to be a youth pastor. Teenagers had the, the number one question they would ask me. And if you're a teenager here today, you're wondering this at some point in your life. And the question was this, how close can I get to premarital sex and then pull back? And God will be all right with that. I mean, how much can I do physically? Or maybe you're married, and you say, you know, how, how much can I fantasize? How emotionally attached can I become and then pull back before it starts to affect my marriage? Here's my question for you. Why would you even want to get close? This past summer, I was speaking at a family camp, and on one of the nights there, my wife and I went for a walk with each other. We were kind of out on a country road in the middle of nowhere. It was about 9 o'clock at night, and it was getting dark. And all of a sudden, I heard some rustling in the bushes over to my left. And I looked over, and less than five feet from me 
was the biggest skunk I had ever seen in my entire life. And his tail was up. I yelled, run, and just took off. But my wife was standing on the other side of me, so she didn't really see the skunk. And so she was kind of half-heartedly like, why are we running? What's going on? I said, just run. Now, here's what I didn't do. I didn't say, hey, you know, there's a, there's a skunk over there. How close do you think I could get to that skunk without getting blasted? Because when it comes to a skunk, you don't even get close. The same principle applies to sin. The Bible says flee from sexual immorality, which means run. Get as far away from it as you possibly can. There are some of us here today who you have a sin or a temptation in your life. And every day you just get a little closer. And you say, you know, I wonder how many drinks I can have before I get drunk. I wonder how much I can hang out with this dysfunctional person before it starts to rub off on me. Here's my question. Why would you even want to get close? Sin stinks. It stinks worse than a skunk. That's why you've got to run. It's why Solomon says to his son, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Here's how I try to apply this verse in my life. I will not have lunch alone with a woman who's not my mom or my wife. I don't ride alone in a car with a woman who's not my mom or my wife. You say, you know what, my business doesn't allow me to do that. I don't have that same personal conviction. That's fine. Your list doesn't have to look the same as mine does. But how are you applying this verse to your life? What are those forbidden doors that you're saying, you know what, I'm not even going to get close? I used to tell teenagers this all the time. It's amazing how few people you see making out at McDonald's. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've never gone to McDonald's and watched somebody start kissing and then it gets a little more passionate, and one thing leads to the next. Where does that kind of thing happen? It happens in basements, when mom and dad are upstairs sleeping at midnight, when the movie's over and the direct TV icon's bouncing around the screen. What does that tell you if you are a teenager who wants to pursue godly purity in your life? It tells you don't even put yourself in that situation. Don't even get near that door. Hang out in public. Hang out with friends. Don't take your date to McDonald's. Class it up. Go to Taco Bell or something like that. But <laughs> don't even get near. If alcohol is a forbidden door for you, then don't go near the door of a bar. Don't go down that aisle at Cub. Get involved with Quest 180 so you've got an addiction recovery ministry to help you and support you in life. If it's overspending for you, then don't go near the door of a mall or a department store if you can help it. Cut up your credit card, start to use cash. If it's pornography, get rid of the smartphone, get a dumb phone. Get a phone that has no internet access whatsoever. But see, that sounds too extreme to most people. And so they continue to get as close as they can, and it's a trap door, and then they slide until they hit rock bottom. It's your choice. But I'm telling you, Solomon, one of the wisest men who has ever lived, says don't even go near that door. Second way to avoid forbidden doors in your life is this. Stay in your lane. Look at what Solomon says next to his son. He says, drink water from your own cistern. Now, a cistern in the ancient world looked like this. Here's a picture of one that they've kind of excavated. And it was an underground tank that was used to store or to capture rainwater. 
in a world where there was no water purification systems or you know, digging these elaborate wells, these were pretty popular in the ancient world. So Solomon says, drink from your own cistern. We would say something similar maybe if we were having dinner and our kids kept eating off our plate. We'd be like, hey, come on, you got your own food, eat off your own plate. But as Solomon goes on, you can tell that he's not talking about literal cisterns. He's using this as a metaphor because look at what he says next. He says, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. He said, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. In other words, to drink from your own cistern and to rejoice in the wife of your youth, they mean the same thing. To drink from someone else's cistern means that you're finding sexual fulfillment in somebody else's spouse. It also implies that you are satisfied with your cistern, which isn't always the case, is it? A lot of us look at other cisterns and we think, you know what, that, that one over there, that looks a little bit cracked, less cracked than the one that I have. I was at a coffee shop recently and there was this group of women behind me and they were talking rather loudly and animated and it was kind of hilarious because this one woman, she goes, you know, my husband, he never gives me any non-sexual physical affection. I mean, I just want a hug and it's just for him, it's just sex, 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 sex. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like talk quieter, lady. And then this other woman pipes in and she goes, you know, my husband and I, we're the total opposites to when it comes to turns us on sexually. And then she said something else that I couldn't hear. Trust me, I tried on that one. <laughs> Very curious. <laughs> and then from there, it just went into a full-on rip on your husband fest. I mean, one of them didn't pick up after himself. The other one watched too much TV. One of them was way too critical. Now, here's the deal. I'm sure that they're right. I'm sure their husbands watch too much TV, could do a better job picking up after themselves. But as they went on, you could tell that these women were not satisfied with their cistern. They thought there were other cisterns out there that were less cracked than theirs were. Can I tell you, as someone who's been a pastor for over 15 years, that every single marriage has something? For the last decade, half of the women in America have been looking at their husband going, well, he's not Brad Pitt. Well, guess what happened this week? <laughs> Sadly, the woman who was married to Brad Pitt said, I don't want to be in this marriage any longer. I am telling you, every marriage has something. Instead of looking at another cistern and going, well, they have less cracks than I do, patch up your own cracks. Stay in your own lane. Here's what I mean by stay in your lane. If you're in the married lane right now, Stay in your lane. Don't drift into the flirt, emotional affair, divorce lane. Stay in your lane. Invest time, energy, and attention into your marriage. If you're in the education lane right now and you're going to school, stay in that lane. Don't drift into the party, hook up, waste your parents' money lane. Employers are looking for people who are hardworking, educated, and sober. Stay in your lane. If you're in the raising kids lane right now, stay in your lane. I was telling my wife this the other day, I don't have a whole lot of time for other things. I come home from work, my two oldest sons are in activities, I've got a daughter who's learning how to read and needs help. 
I want my kids to know Christ and to understand the Bible. I don't have time for a whole lot of other things. And for about a year, I would complain about that until I realized something. I can do that stuff later in life. No one else is going to raise my kids for me. That is my lane. In fact, look at what Solomon says next. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Apparently that was a compliment. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? You ought to read your Bible sometime. A couple of you had whiplash over here. I'm just reading the Bible, okay? Settle down. (laughs) Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulterous woman? He says, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. That's a powerful thought that God's eyes are before all of us. Some of you say, boy, that's great news. Because I'm suffering and I'm not doing well, and that's encouraging to know that God sees that and understands that. Others of you say, you know what, I don't know if that is a good thing. I'm not sure I want God to see the path that I'm on right now. Solomon says, son, why should you be intoxicated by this other woman? You need to stay in your lane. Third way that you can avoid forbidden doors is this. Make a never, ever list. Look at what Solomon says next to his son. He concludes this way. He says, an evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of discipline. How's your discipline these days? As I was writing this message, I had just finished eating my lunch of a salad and cucumbers when Bob, our senior pastor, poked his head in my office and he goes, there's wise guys pizza down in the break room. I bolted and ate four pieces. I say I want to eat healthier, but my discipline's not so great. And Solomon doesn't pull any punches here. He says he dies for lack of discipline. Any of us here today dying in an area of our life because we have lacked discipline. What is discipline? Discipline is putting off something you want today for something you want more tomorrow. So you say, you know what, I want that car right now. I want that brand new car right now. But in the future, I want to be out of debt even more. So I'm not going to get the car now so I can be out of debt in the future. That is discipline. But here's the thing about discipline. Discipline doesn't work all that well when you're in the moment, when you're caught up in the emotions. That's why you have to make an advanced decision. You need to have a never, ever list. Let me ask you, what are the things in your life that you would never, ever do? Have you written those down at some point? Before I was a Christian, I'm not sure I had a never, ever list. When I was 18 years old, before I knew Christ, I skipped out of school with my friends for lunch. On my 18th birthday, we went to a strip club And I came back to school and bragged about it to everyone. A year later, I became a follower of Jesus Christ, and I vowed I will never, ever go to a strip club again, and I haven't, and I won't. What are the things that you never, ever will do? Let me share a few things that are on my never, ever list. I will never, ever get a divorce. My wife, don't throw that, we don't throw that word out there, we don't threaten it, the D word just, we don't bring it up. Now, I understand that there are many of you who you had your marriage end, and it was not what you wanted. And there are some circumstances outside of your control, and I I get all of that. But for those of you who are currently married, 
Get this on your never ever list. It's amazing how motivated you are to work on your marriage when your choice is happily married or unhappily married. If you're single, do you have it on a never ever list that you're not gonna date a person who isn't a strong follower of Jesus Christ? You can't build a relationship on a bad foundation. You might be tempted to think, well, you know, they go to church or they said they'll, you know, change. No, 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 no. They need to have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. You get that on a never ever list. Never ever go into credit card debt. Don't need the stress and the burden of that. Never ever view pornography. What are the things that you would never ever do? I would encourage you, sit down this week and actually write them out. Now, I realize that in an audience this size, there are some of you who are saying, you know what? I did something that was on my never ever list. I said I wasn't going to go there, and I went. I said I wouldn't do that, and I did. And now you wonder, is there healing? Is there forgiveness for me? Is there hope? And I want you to know that by the power of Jesus Christ, there is. There's still consequences. But you can get on the other side of that door again. In fact, I want to show you the story of some friends of mine, Brett and Alicia Lacoste. Brett walked through a couple of forbidden doors. But by the power of Jesus Christ, he's experiencing some restoration in his life. Take a look at the side screens. Well, Alicia and I, we met when we were 19. We dated for a pretty short time, and then he went into the military. And uh, we had a courtship over letters. We wrote letters to each other. And um, a year after we met, we eloped. And um, we were married for 15 years. And during that time, we had a lot of different issues that, that came up, um, some ups and downs. We were kind of doing it on our own. We didn't, we didn't have a church that we went to. And I didn't have a lot of examples of how it was supposed to work, you know, as far as how to communicate, anything like that. About eight years in, we were invited to Eagle Brook. And so we, at that point, we started to hear things about marriage and things like that but we didn't really establish and make those things part of our marriage. We still just kind of hoped that things would work out. You know, I started working at Eagle Brook uh, on the worship team, and um, my normal work outside of working at Eagle Brook was uh, playing music in bands. I would tour, and um, that life was completely different. Drinking was normal to me. Um, porn was normal. There was no guardrails in the beginning, and um, ultimately it was just because I didn't really think that I needed them. Brett was sober for about seven years when he started drinking again and started having an affair with a woman that he met at the bar when his band was playing. The affair was really something that I worked hard to make happen. I was really trying to get out of my marriage. I was really self-destructive. When I found out about the affair that Brett was having, I was devastated. That day, I still remember, I didn't want to get out of bed. I was completely crushed. I cried all day. Shortly after Alicia and I were divorced, um, I had moved in with the other woman. And um, after a about a month, it kind of hit me at that point that I had really made a huge mistake. After I learned what Brett did, I forgave him right away. 
I knew that I couldn't hold that anger in my heart, but it took time for me to actually feel that forgiveness, to actually feel in my heart that I could trust him again. There was really a time when I was going through this whole process where I was hanging out with her and Marsha one night, and uh, I just looked around and I realized in that moment, I was like, this is what I've always wanted. And I said, God, was this here the whole time? And that was the first time I had a clear idea of what I had done. Regardless of whether or not Alicia and I would ever be back together, I wanted to be able to live with myself. And I asked God to show me how to do that. He started to take off all of the pictures on Facebook that he had with her. He deleted his Twitter account, which was one method of communication with her. Um, he used to send me the text messages that she would send him and show me his responses to say, I'm not interested. I want to get back together with my wife. At first I felt like, yeah, that's great that you can change, but I didn't believe that it would last. So what I did was I watched Brett over a period of time, and it was probably a year that I watched him change and sustain that change. I watched him put up those guardrails, and he stayed within them. There's no secrets, and she has access to my social media, my phone. My phone's never locked. You know, we had to um, really rebuild trust. About three years after the divorce, we started dating again, and um, just in April, we got married again. I think that he and I realized that our marriage is worth fighting for, and our relationship is worth fighting for, and we'll do whatever it takes to stay married. I know that there's lasting consequences for the choices that I've made, and we're gonna continue to deal with those, but God can do so much more than you can even think is possible. I didn't think any of this was possible. You know, there are mornings when I wake up and I, I'm almost in tears when I think about how blessed I am. And it's even beyond what I could have imagined of how good it could be. It's even better than that. You heard Brett mention guardrails a couple of times. Uh, I met with him about a year and a half ago. He told me the most incredible story. He said when he first realized what he had done, he confessed his sin before God and really got himself right with Jesus Christ. And he started listening to all these sermons and reading the Bible, and one of the sermons he listened to was by a pastor named Andy Stanley, and it was about guardrails and how a guardrail on the freeway kind of keeps you from the danger. It keeps you from that forbidden door. And so what are the guardrails that you need to set up in your life? He said, I was listening to this message, and this is before he and Alicia were even starting to date, or that was even on his radar, but this other woman texted him and said, hey, we just want to grab dinner. And he texted back. He said, no, I, I, I'm trying to be a great dad and get my life right with God. I don't think I can. And, and she texted back, it's just dinner, and kind of pressured him. And so finally he was like, well, okay. And he got on the freeway, and it was wintertime, and the freeway was icy, and as he got off the ramp onto the freeway, his car began to spin out. And he said, I was spinning in circles on the freeway. I'm watching cars just flying past me, wondering which one of them was going to hit me. He said, my car spun out and smashed up against the side. And he said, I looked over as I got my wits about me, and I was right next to a guardrail. He said, I sat there in my car, 
worshiping Jesus Christ and going, God, what did you just protect me from? He texted that woman. He said, I'm not going to be able to make it to dinner. A week later, she texted him again and said, hey, let's grab that dinner you owe me. He texted back. He said, the last time I tried to get together with you for dinner, God almost killed me. (laughs) So it's not going to happen. And from that moment on, he began to set up some guardrails in his life. Can you imagine what would have happened if he hadn't? What he would have missed out on in his marriage, what he would have missed out on with his son. Now, let's be honest. Most marriages don't recover from something like that. But this one did in part because Brett really got serious about his faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't just a once a week thing. It was an everyday thing where, God, I want to get serious about you. I'm willing to obey you no matter what. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ and say, God, I will obey you no matter what? It's not just discipline. You need a power outside of yourself that is only found in a relationship with him. In fact, look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, when you are tempted, God will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. That is my prayer for you this week. That this week or this month or this year, the next time you find yourself with your hand on the doorknob and you're thinking, you know what, it wouldn't hurt just to open this a little bit, that you would pray this simple prayer, God, give me a way out. Show me a way out. And then you would recommit your life to him and surrender to him. Because your life, my life, are marked not only by the doors that we go through, but also the doors that we don't. Next weekend is Who's at Your Door? It's about other people helping you with your decisions. If you're a teenager, college student, young adult, or all of us, we need great people around us helping us make great decisions. It's going to be a really cool weekend. We'd love to have you come back. With that, let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Jesus, I pray for that person here who came to church today or might be watching this message and their hand is on the doorknob. And they're trying to talk themselves into why this would be okay and to justify why it would be okay to just turn the knob a little bit and open the door a crack. And God, my prayer is that today's message was you speaking to them as a warning, as a protection, that you're saving them from one of the worst decisions that they could ever possibly make, God. So God, we just thank you in this moment for that. For how you protect us and save us. God, I pray for that person here who walked through a forbidden door at some point in their life. God, there's some real healing and forgiveness that needs to take place in that person's heart. And God, I pray that you would do that. That as they confess their sin, as they get their secrets out into the open as they recommit their life to Jesus Christ and surrender everything to you. God, I pray for healing and forgiveness. I pray for an ability to get back on the other side of that door. And God, for those of us who have kept our distance from forbidden doors, we thank you for that, God. 
And we ask that you would help us to continue to just not even get near. And that you would give us the wisdom that Solomon was trying to impart to his son that says, God, I'm not even going to go near those doors in my life. God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us so much that you tell us what the forbidden doors are. You tell us the doors that are going to bring pain and consequence into our life. And so we thank you for that, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.